Sosin, and this is Six Degrees of Innovation, a podcast that grew out of my natural curiosity and love of innovative solutions to big and little challenges. Each episode, I'll speak with someone who is making an impact in an innovative way. Listen in as we talk about what got them started, what problem they're tackling, and how it's going. This week, I'm talking with Lucy Jeffrey, the founder of Bear Kind. Lucy's love of animals inspired her to leave the corporate world and launch a successful business that contributes directly to saving endangered species. But what really struck me is her commitment to transparency, both when it comes to Bearkind's business model, but also in pulling the curtain back on all aspects of starting and growing an e-commerce company. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. No, no worries. Thanks for having me, Rachel. I personally absolutely love socks and I love all animals. And if it were up to me, I would live in some sort of wonderful animal sanctuary. So um, with that in mind, could you tell me a bit about how Bear Kind came to be? I think, I guess, similar to you, I love animals and socks and it's just kind of evolved. <laughs> um, but the yeah, the story is I'm the founder of Bearkind. I started the company in 2018. I was working for a bank at the time, wasn't really lighting any fires underneath me. Like I knew I wanted to do more with my life or kind of like my legacy to the planet. And so I started Bearkind as a so-called side hustle, which everyone seems to be doing these days. Um, (laughs) So yeah, that was just over five years ago now. Now. And I actually started the company with the thought of, I just want to experiment with some products that help the world in some small way. So that my actual first product was reusable stainless steel straws. So they came about when the world was talking about banning single use plastic, like it was a huge thing. Um, that video was coming doing the rounds of a turtle with a plastic straw stuck up its nose. So it was kind of hot in the news at the time. And I just started with that. And then I did recycled t-shirts, recycled tote bags. There were a few different things before I landed on my now hero product, which is bamboo socks and 10% of the profits are donated to the animal on the sock. Um, So we're linked with over 25 different charity partners now around the world who help in conserving our planet's beautiful animals. Um, But I started with just one. So I started with turtles because of that video. Um, People were kind of uh, associating turtles with what we were doing. So I started with a turtle sock. I got in contact with the Turtle Foundation and just went from there. And so I just did one and then people really liked it and said, what's coming next? I want to see other animals. And then I grew to, you know, a few more animals. So I started with a range of five. Um, It wasn't until, so that was 2019, I think, that Christmas that we launched a few. And then it wasn't until the following year, the end of 2020, that I quit my job to do this full time. And now I own a sock company and it's, We've got about 45 to 50 different designs. And it was one of those things that just sort of happened. I love socks and animals. So it's it's worked out very well, um, but it was slightly accidental. <laughs> I just kind of saw the opportunity and, and rolled with it. That uh, Did you have any kind of background with... Um with retail or with resale or um, with anything like that before? Not nothing. Like I'd, I'd gone to uni, I did biology, I joined a bank as a graduate. I did a couple of roles there. 
and then I quit and that was it. So I have no fashion experience, no e-commerce, no business, nothing. Um, but I don't think you need, I don't think you need it. Um, I'd almost argue that it kind of helps because I have this naivety around certain processes that I just do it in the way that makes sense to me. And actually sometimes that could be better because you're not like, you haven't got a fixed mindset and like how it should be done versus what the industry does. Um, now, I, we're definitely noticing that we need more experience, but that's something that we're bringing in. So a good example of that is we've just hired a freelance merchandiser to help us with our like kind of product planning and our stock movement and uh, which socks are doing well and which aren't. What's the data telling us that that stuff we were really struggling on because we have no experience in that area, but we've hired for that. So, I mean, I don't think you have to have the experience to do something like this. Um, there's times when it would really help, but I actually think it's been kind of our superpower because we've just gone and done what we think is the right thing to do. And we've learned along the way. And it's oh, it's so much fun because you learn so much. Like I, I'm by no means an expert in this industry, but I'm so much further ahead in this kind of sector than I was a few years ago. I, I And I think you're right that the, there's a real strength to not being kind of locked into the the sort of traditional mode of thinking or the traditional framework because you do get to explore and you do get to try something might be a little bit disruptive or might be a lot disruptive without having the the worries that might come if you're if you're very used to a traditional method. I'm really excited by how transparent you are on the Bearkind website about your manufacturers about um, where you are getting the bamboo for your socks, about your packaging, and about your impact. And, you know, there are, there are lots of businesses that are, you know, selling a product for and, and giving proceeds to a charity. But, and there are lots of companies that are being transparent about where their manufacturing is happening and, and you know, the, the climate impact. From my limited experience, I feel like most of them are then also quite expensive. I'm really impressed that you are so transparent, you are doing great things, and your product is affordable. So I'm really curious to know how do you thread that needle? And maybe part of that is because you don't have, you know, like uh, a, a background in e-commerce that tells you you must do X. I don't know. Um but it feels like you're really getting it right. And and as I know from having read your last impact report, 2022 was your biggest year yet and you're continuing to grow. So, um, yeah, how how are you making it work? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad it's seeming like that from the outside um, because I think <laughs> it's, it's a very hard balance to, to make because with this, obviously with our profit donation, 10% of our bottom line is that's it. It's gone. We've donated that. And then suddenly you're VAT registered. So 20% of your bottom line then goes to tax and then everything. And then marketing is obviously very expensive. So it's, it's really tough. And I, I don't think it's a case of that. We've got it right. I think our intentions are right. Like we're, we, you know, we're doing our profit donation. We're trying to make decisions that are like the best for people profit planet. Um, and I, I think we are doing everything right ethically, but we are still finding it quite hard financially, I would say. Um, so, and that's, you know, we are still growing and we're still a profitable business, but maybe we're not, you know, as profitable as, you know, a similar business that is just optimizing for profit, but this is just how we've chosen to operate. And I think, I believe this is how business should be going forward. Um, 
Uh, but capitalism is rife, so people are still only going to be optimising profit. That's what they're going to be doing. But I like to think that we can kind of show people that it can be done. Um, whether that is, you know, I think we need to be kinder to ourselves, you know, so like last year, for the whole of the year, we were doing free shipping for in the UK for our customers. And we've now realised that that is just not sustainable anymore. So as, mm-hmm. as much as I'd love to give free shipping to all of our customers, we have to set a threshold because we mm-hmm. just couldn't afford to send one pair of socks to all these people free and the royal mail strikes last year crippled us on that so i think that's a kind of like a learning curve we've hit now that i i like our price so we're for anyone listening at the moment we're 9.95 pounds for, for a pair of socks it's under it's gifts under 10 pounds that's what i kind of like about it um whether we'll have to kind of see obviously inflation is crazy at the moment whether we have to see maybe maybe next year there's going to have to be a bit of a price rise there but nothing crazy each year we've done the slight price rise um, you know, when I first started, my socks were seven pounds fifty. Then it went up to seven ninety five. Then I think it did bit of a jump up to like nine pounds because I really seven fifty was way too low to start off with. I really underpriced. Um, but I think it's good to know that well, we still get comments that people think we're expensive, and we are compared to multi packs of socks from M and S, Primark, and the like because they have huge operations. I don't think people really understand the difference between us and them, but they are sending millions and millions of pounds worth of orders. orders to these factories. Um, so yes, they can afford to have these cheap, like multi packs of socks, but we're still a gifting product. So that you know, that's, that's the kind of price point we're set at. But I'd say, yeah, you're trying to be transparent about it. And yes, it, it is going well. And we're having amazing impact but it is hard to make the business Mm -hmm. model work on this like it is much harder but that's not to say it's not the right thing to do um i think i think that that is good to know um and i appreciate that you're being really thoughtful about how to how to set the price so that it makes sense with with the target target customer. customer um one of the things that i was curious about is so you've you've um taken on wholesale wholesale clients and I th- so you sort of alluded to this in in terms of talking about you know like the and the giant Primarks, Primarks and things, and things like, that. like that. Um, how has wholesaling impacted your um your ability to maintain that impact and profit? It's been a huge um, channel for us um, because we pivoted the business in that way. So we started on direct to consumer, so just through our website. Um, that's how we begun. And then we started, you know, people would come to us basically and say, I, I want to stock your socks in my shop. And so I started with a, a sprinkling of re- minor relationships and then it's grown from there. And now we're in about 700 different retailers around the world. So we've had huge growth in this area, but it's very purposeful growth because we've realized it's a very, very sustainable income through the rest of the year. So 60% of our revenue last year came in November and December. Um, a lot of that was D to C, so through our website. Um, but we need a sustainable income through the rest of the year to help with cash flow. So we've just pivoted the whole team and we've gone wholesale, wholesale, help wholesale until we get to Christmas. So we're a wholesale mm-hmm. business and then we're a Christmas business. And it's just helped us having that sustainable income because we now have a lot of people who will come back to us either every month, possibly every quarter. At Christmas, they're coming back quite a lot um, or they're placing much larger orders in preparation for Christmas. Um, It really helps on cash because suddenly you've got someone buying a thousand pounds worth of socks instead of 30 pounds worth of socks. Um, So yes, they're getting the cheaper, the wholesale price, but 
it's you know it's it's bulk orders that's you know i mean it's the reason why wholesale is such a good channel um and we're going to a trade show it's our first one in february um because a lot of these retailers we're currently with are small independent they're boutiques they're great and they're um, you know an amazing source of income for us but we're also starting to look at okay are there any bigger retailers we could get into and start getting our brand out there i I have one more question sort of on the businessy side, and then I have a couple questions sort of more on the the charity side. In the beginning, you were saying how you started with straws and and some shirts and some tote bags, and and then you narrowed focus to socks. And I find that sort of interesting because I think often businesses will sort of go the other direction. They start with, you know, their one signature item and then expand out to a bunch of other um, products. I don't think I put any sort of pro or con to one method versus the other. Um, but I'm curious to know, A, what what made you decide to focus, to to narrow in your focus? And then B, particularly since socks are quite seasonal, um, do you anticipate expanding back out or um, is that still to be determined? Yeah, so in terms of narrowing in, uh, because our hero product to start with was the straws, they then became, there was no USP for them. They were all being manufactured in the same place. Everyone was selling them and they were identical. Like we had our brand on them, but I very quickly realized that there was no future for them because they were, they were a bit of a fad. So people were kind of all over them and already I, I don't really think they're just kind of old news now. Like, you know, people still use them, but they're just not nothing interesting there so that was more of a decision of we're not going to be able to grow a business on this I think you it's still a good product that yeah if you were to have like a business that was sold lots of kind of plastic free products then yes it fits into that range it makes sense but there was no way I was going to grow a business to this scale just on that product similar for the bags and the t-shirts they just weren't selling well enough um I think every, I mean, especially the tote bags, they're really nice tote bags because they're they're made from plastic bottles. So they're hundred percent recycled and they're really good quality, but people don't tend to buy tote bags too often because you get so many for free. Like we've just got stacks and stacks of them. Every time we go to a networking event or something that's going on, we get given the tote bag. So we kind of knew that they were a nice little tra- trial product, but they weren't going to be a business we grew on. So, yeah, so as soon as the socks started doing well, I just pivoted right away. I was like, okay, let's, we need to, this is, I see the opportunity here. And it's just grown and grown. I think I started with five and then I grew to 10 um, and then we've just kept adding and now it's a sock company. Um, And I think there's definite scope for further products, but we just keep being asked for more socks. And I think especially because we've got the charity angle behind it, there's so many new animals new designs we could do and um, you know we look to our biggest competitor happy socks i mean they're so big that they're not they wouldn't probably don't even know who we are um but that's they're a sock company and they are huge and they bring out 400 designs every season um and so they've got yeah so they've got their core range and then they'll add another 400 designs to it each season and those socks will change around so they're kind of they act more like a fashion brand that mm-hmm. it's seasonal so they won't Whereas right now we've got the, a consistent range. So we're now starting to move into, we've got our core range and how can we change up the designs every season? Um, so we got fresh stuff and we've sold out of the other stuff and we maybe don't bring that design back in and we, or we do it slightly differently. So, you know, people love 
turtles but can we change the design and do a different color and things like that um and in terms of yes the seasonality yeah we we have a massive swing at christmas because we're socks it's a good gifting product but yeah we are considering what other products we could do during summer to kind of flatten that revenue curve um because i think the charity model would work on other products but you know do we bring out flip-flops for example and I've, i've not i've not got my heart set on any products just yet it needs to be the right product um, that fits with our ethos. And I don't think I've found that yet. Um, and also money. So <laughs> <laughs> having enough money to then go into another range of products as well. So um, it's, yeah, very, very, very difficult one to, to manage. But again, this is why I'm, you know, we were talking before that I'm trying to grow us as kind of like a our personal brand as well in terms of our own podcast, our own YouTube channel, talking about the business. So whatever we do pivot with, we've kind of got that, trust built up in like us as founders um as well and what we do next so it's like other revenue streams can kind of fall into that but bear kind is the is the baby in the center um <laughs> i'm just thinking about other stuff that we could do as well yeah it's interesting because as as you were talking about you know other potential summer products i realized there really are very few things that i can think of in at least sort of in the clothing body wear space that I would need to the level that I need socks, you know, um, to your point about the tote bag, you're right, I have two. And that's more than enough. And, um, and I when I go to conferences, if I forget to bring my own, you know, I will search for the one that looks the nicest. And then I will, you know, kindly turn down the billions of other tote bags that are there um it's interesting i I think you really have managed to hit the product that is fun and always in need like i'm i will always need more socks at some point even if if not necessarily that day um so talking a bit about how you know you're you're looking at how to kind of update designs um season to season i was really curious to know how do you choose uh sort of i guess sort of chicken or the egg which comes first the charity or the design um and you know especially since i i i love how you kind of target around region or or kind of um climate area i guess i would say like there's a jungle line there's an ocean thank you habitat so um What's sort of the strategy there? So it's actually evolved. Um, we started with the animals and the designs. So, you know, we've kind of got a blank slate and I want to bring out, I want an ocean range and I want a safari range in a jungle. I want some UK woodland. So we started adding to that. And then I'd go and find a charity that works with those designs. And we've kind of built from there. And that was quite difficult because we're coming in from a place of like, we're not very well known when we started Um, and there's not much of a range so we got a lot of no's we got a lot of ignores at the start Um, but now we've kind of built this to we've got a portfolio of charities so one we've got charities that work with quite a few animals so Mm -hmm. we can kind of build the range around the charity so we've kind of started moving into that model as well Um, so we've got a few partnerships coming up next year where we're joining them and they help quite a few different species so we'll kind of with them help design those those socks and it's way more collaborative um and the second thing is we actually now get quite a lot of charities that come to us and they'll say hey uh what was a good one recently butterflies butterfly conservation came to me 
and said, hey, we'd like to, you know, we'd like to work with you. And I say, great, okay, let's do it. Um, and we start kind of planning that into the portfolio um, for the next year as well. I mean, it depends if it works out. Butterflies worked out very well. I happened to have a butterfly sock that I needed a charity for. So I was like, great. We've already, it's already in manufacture. We're ready for you. And they're like, okay, great. But others, <laughs> I'm like, we've got a long list of animals and I've got a list of charities that we're doing first. So it might be a while. So I think they come in expecting us to work quite quickly, but sometimes it can take up to a year for us to then move into that. But we've, we've started moving faster now um, on designs. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of react a bit quicker. Um, but yeah, I think it's now it's more about making sure we've got a valuable partner on board because we were taking anyone and everyone um, as long as they're a charity before, but now I can afford to be a bit more picky um, mm-hmm. and, you know, say no to it. I've not really said no to a charity. We've had to stop working with a charity before because their communication was so bad. Yeah, there there's so many we've got about 25 plus different partners now so i need it to be an easy relationship otherwise it's just too difficult for us to manage um so i can afford to be more um i can afford to ask more of them from the start to say look like we're going to do this but this is what i expect um and most people are on board with that they know that it's a two-way street so mm-hmm. i think it's mm-hmm. yeah it's working out much much better now that's interesting i guess i had hadn't really thought of it as a two-way street before. Um, I was thinking of it as sort of a, not altruistic, but that I had sort of thought of the charities as a little bit more passive and, you know, the beneficiary of the work that you are doing with Bear Kind. What are some of the elements of that exchange? Yeah, it's a good question. I'd say for the most part, it is, we, and we do have charities that are a bit more passive. So it really depends from charity to charity how they're set up to work with their partners. Um, some are more open to it because they already do work with their, their partners. So we've got one charity that quarterly will have a networking session with all their other partners and things like that. Um, so I go into it, you know, I, I, I don't demand that, and, and some actually buy our socks and sell them in their own gift shop and things like that. Mm. Not all of them are set up in that way. I don't demand that. I don't, you know, I don't expect them to do lots of work for us, but I do expect them to have a good line of communication with us um, because sometimes, and I understand people get busy, we do as well, but sometimes I was just getting ignored constantly. I'm asking for, I'm, I'm asking for contracts to be signed so we can start donating. And if I'm being ignored at that stage, that's a red flag to me. Um, mm, it makes yeah. it far too difficult. So Yes, we're we're much more we are the active person in the partnership. Um, and I'd expect us to be doing a lot of that work. But, you know, we've also got our charities who are just like super happy and positive and keen to work with us and, you know, will invite us down to go and visit and get content and things like that. Like I think it can be a really nice partnership. Um, so it really depends from charity to charity how much work they've got on, how you know, have they got a specific person that they assign to their partnerships to work with with us um, because some just don't have the resource and that's okay um, but for me it's the biggest one is just please just reply to us <laughs> on email like that's <laughs> that's the kind of like that's a hygiene factor for me really <laughs> <laughs> that's yes I uh so my my background is sort of more operations and um and I have always been amazed when there's like a vendor that you want to pay or um you know a a donation that you want to make and you can't get a hold of them. Yeah, I, I'm like, you know, I, I, I would like to give you money, please. 
please respond to this email. Um, so I think that's a very reasonable expectation to have. On the design front, do you is that something that is handled by um, by the manufacturers or or do you get to do um, do you get do you get to play a role in the design and the and the color choice and the you know sort of posture of the animals and things like that? Again, this is evolving. So we've all, always done it in house. Mm-hmm. Um, started with me doing the designs. I'm not a designer, but I can draw animals well enough to <laughs> to make socks. So we've quite a few of our de- good, actually some of our most popular designs I've designed. Um, and so we've done it that way. And now we've got a, then we moved to, we've got a freelance, a freelance designer. So she's actually a designer that you can clearly see the difference between her and my designs. Hers are amazing. So we've got some of those coming through this Christmas, but we're also now starting to see um again this is our kind of naivety in the industry we're now being told actually it's very very common for the manufacturers to have an in-house design team that will do the work for you um so I, that's where we're thinking we can start speeding up our design process working with the manufacturers to kind of churn out a few more designs so we'll still have a massive say in the colors and the like the, the animals and how it's positioned and things like that but it just means that they're kind of they are best placed to create a design that's going to work in manufacturing in, in once it's actually in manufacturing in the machines. Um, because when it's socks, they're, they're done on like a pixel basis. So if you take like a graphic design of the animal it needs to be simple enough that they can then transpose it into a pixelated design because the socks will be knitted one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has to kind of translate into that. And they are the experts at this. So I think in the future, that's something we'll start moving into. Um, possibly we'll do some stuff in, in-house as well. But there's, I think it's good to have kind of our fingers in both pies now because it will really mm-hmm. help with our design process. Um, do, you have, do you have a favorite sock design? Yeah, so I do. Um, we have this sock and it's a bunny rabbit. So it's not an endangered animal by any means. It's the opposite. They're a very neglected animal in the UK. Uh, this is domestic rabbits. Um, and the charity is one bun at a time and they help move rescue rabbits around the UK. So if they've got one that's been needs to be picked up, it's neglected, it's something, you know, maybe it's in foster care, they need or they need to move it to a different location to help rehome it. They have like a, a network of volunteers that will help drive those rabbits around the UK. I have a rescue bunny. Um, I was going to say, is this how you got, is this how you got your chief distraction officer? My chief distraction officer, Fuji. Yeah. So he's a rescue (laughs) bunny and he's like the best thing that has ever happened to us. Like, and just the idea. So he was, he got put into a rescue center at very young because he was fighting with his brother, I think. And for people that don't know about rabbits, they will fight to the death if you like, don't separate them or if you haven't bonded them properly they're actually really complex animals um so people get them thinking great cute fluffy animals these two are brothers they're going to love each other no they if you've not got them fixed they will fight because they've not been bonded properly and if they're a brother and a sister they will have babies they don't like (laughs) relationship (laughs) relation like brother and sister means nothing to them so (laughs) people don't really people yeah they end up being the most the most neglected pet in the uk because people don't understand that they will breed like rabbits and then they will fight. So this little boy was at the rescue center because he'd been fighting and they didn't understand how to look after him. And he's the most gentle, loving rabbit. Like he will come up and he will like scratch your feet when we're working. He'll like scratch our feet until we like pet him. Like he just, he just wants to be loved. 
And so, like, the fact that we were able to rescue him, he didn't have a home, now he does. Now he does. So um, I feel very strongly about that. And the, the rabbit design on the sock, it is a white rabbit. It looks identical to him, but the sock was designed years before he even existed. So, like... It's kind of like come around that it's you know he's the rabbit on the sock he was it was faked he was meant to be um so yeah no i really i really love him but um so yeah that's but interesting this is kind of sad story as well because the sock itself hasn't sold very well so we're gonna have to like redesign it i think because it's it's quite a girly design like it's gray and pink with a white fluffy bunny on it um and typically a lot of our designs that do really well are more like the darker designs, the blacks, the greys, navies, greens. I think they're being bought. They're being bought as gifts for men. Typically, um, it's we've got a split. Obviously, a lot of women wear our socks and buy our socks as well. But because typically the women of the household are buying the gifts, especially if it's for like a dad or a granddad, we're seeing those those um, kind of more manly in quote marks colors do do better which i don't love because we try not to gender our socks but people that the shopping behaviors naturally mm-hmm. gender them for us even if we're not saying they're they're a man's sock or a woman's sock mm-hmm. um so we're gonna have to kind of rethink that design i definitely want to still support the charity but the sock hasn't sold well enough so i think we need to like redesign that one but it's still my favorite well, <laughs> <laughs> well so I I really love that and now i also just think that you should you know adopt a giraffe or or something because you have socks for all of these animals so obviously you should just start building out your home sanctuary and yeah exactly that's that's the dream right i'd be like i must have a giraffe because of the sock (laughs) (laughs) i think the real learning here is that rachel does not need to go into the charitable sock business Um, (laughs) you don't have too many animals yeah (laughs) um the Okay, before we go down a path of, you know, what animals you would like to have in your sanctuary, because that would be a different podcast. Um, I would like to close with my my question for all of my guests, which is who or what organization is doing something innovative that has you really excited? Yeah, so I mean, there's so many I, c- I could choose. Um, but this is a uh, someone that I've come across more recently, this woman called Emmy Faust, F-A-U-S-T. Um, I had connected with her on LinkedIn, and she has founded this company called Female Founders Rise. And she's kind of do it is its own company. And I'm not actually sure what she's like, basically, her background is she has founded and so- and sold her own companies. And so now she's kind of like giving back and building other things. And it's specifically, and I recommend anyone who's female in the business, this kind of connection space, give them a follow because they build out like events, networking events, just materials, just anything that's to kind of support female entrepreneurs. And I've been to two of their networking events in London now. So that's why it's kind of front of mind because I've been recently. Um, I don't know if there's anything like super innovative about it because I wouldn't want to say that supporting women in business is innovative. It should just happen. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) she's building these events in a way and it's the, the best, they're the best networking events I have been to because it's female business owners. So they are naturally, I don't know what it is about female business owners, but they are just going to be your biggest supporter. Like they just, it's just so empowering being around other female business owners. Um, And so I've been to a couple of these events and the networking is so good because networking is historically quite awkward and cool, but she has built these events. So it's like, you're almost forced 
to network. So she's like, guys, this is, you know, you, I want you to come away from this with five, um, with five new connections. And she'll come around and be like, okay, you've, make sure you're moving around, make sure you're moving around. So you don't have that awkwardness of like, sorry, I'm going to go and network with someone else. Like everyone is there to meet everyone. And so that is the done thing. Um, and that's, I guess it's innovative in that way that um, other networking events I've been to are typically really hard to like get a conversation with and be feel awkward going up to a group of people because you think like they already know each other when they don't, everyone has just clung on to the first person they've spoken to. So yeah, I just mm-hmm. really like the content. Yeah, yeah, right. It's so <laughs> easily done, but she, those events have given me a lot of confidence. Um, her, the stuff she shares on LinkedIn is really inspiring and just being in her network and all these new women that I've met, I think is, yeah, it's a really important one for everyone. So that's why I've just kind of, that's why she came to my mind. And that's why I'm like recommending her just to connect with, um, because there's also some really awesome, innovative people in that network. So naturally you'll start finding more because there's loads in there. Um, and I just, I just love female business owners. I just, I think they're the, they're the best people. Like they're just so like, so empowering and so inspiring and they're just so supportive as well. So when you talk about what you're doing, they're like, you're amazing. And then they talk about what you're doing and everyone's like, you're amazing. And everyone's just saying how amazing everyone is. So um, I just think there's nothing better. So that's, I always recommend that for, for women to just kind of get those connections in. And you're in London, right? So there'll be, you know, there's yeah. loads of events. Fantastic. I will check that out. And um, I, you're, I think you're absolutely right. There's such a fascinating um, difference in sort of the way women approach foundership and men. And it's, um, I think a little bit like gendering socks, even when you don't want to do it, there's just sort of a, you know, that we have, we have been, you know, kind of society has formed us into, into some, some channels. Um, an earlier episode of this podcast is with, um, was with a woman named Denise McQuaid. And we were talking about angel investment and female founders and female funders and, um, and the different motivations for why women become founders, um, and how they tend to look for something that is, uh, emotionally connected to them or connected directly to their life experience. So you have a love of animals uh, and want to create a business that is doing good. Um, whereas men tend to look at the market, look for gaps and approach it in that sense. And I, that has just stuck with me for since, since my conversation with her. Um, and then also we talked about how on the funding side, how funders are treated differently in, in, you know, the the um, interview process. So I, th- I th- just think it's fascinating. Um, and so I will definitely check out Emmy Faust and the female founders rise. And um, thank you so much, Lucy. This, this has been really fantastic. And, um, and I need, I need some new socks. So I am really excited to, to go in the market make for a purchase. <laughs> yeah. For myself. And then, also, um, you know, some gifts for other people. So I'm excited to, uh, to go become a customer myself now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, yeah, I'm pleased you really like them. And I guess should I, should I tell everyone where to, where to find us? Oh, yes, please do. And I'll make sure that I have also put it on the, uh, in the show notes on the website too. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. So if you and uh, you're like me and Rachel, and you love socks, you love animals, you can find us at bearkind.com. All good social media channels with Bearkind on there. So it's B-A-R-E kind. Um, I'd also recommend checking us out on YouTube and it's Bearkind's there. 
um, because I talk about everything to do with the business on there. So if you're more interested in like the business side of my story and how you can do it, how you could, you know, if you're running your own business, then like we share a lot. We've got our own podcast on that channel and everything. So um, please go check us out because we're, we're trying to be as open as possible to help other businesses um, kind of follow in our path as well. I love it. I love that you have created a business that is having a positive impact is transparent in terms of your sustainability and your climate impact is uh i would i would still say comfortably within the 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 gift of personal affordability and that you are then also mm-hmm. taking your own learnings and expanding that out for others who who are doing the same thing i love that you are that you're paying it forward i just think everything you're doing is really exciting and i'm really i'm glad that i got to meet you today Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. I appreciate that. It's uh, nice to know someone is kind of looking at it and thinking we're, we're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. I think Lucy's approach to sharing her own business learnings is a great example of quiet disruption. Why can't we normalize transparency and sharing rather than competition and secrecy? Maybe then we could actually start changing the retail world from the inside out. Special thanks to Lucy Jeffrey, my guest today. You can buy Bearkind socks at bearkind.co.uk and you can find fantastic content on all things e-commerce on their YouTube channel at Candid Founders. You can also find them on social media at their kind. Also, thank you to you for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and maybe one day I'll be the next Sarah Koenig. If you know someone who would be a great guest, or if you'd like to be on the show yourself, please email me at rachel at sixdegreesstrategy.co or send me a message on LinkedIn. The podcast theme music is Strangers in the Night by Vocalista, downloaded from Upbeat.io.